Welcome to OAC Vancouver's podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We believe that Jesus is needed and relevant for people in Vancouver today. The message of God's love and promise of wholeness was destined to be experienced within a faith community that worships, studies scripture, and prays together. We warmly welcome you to journey with us towards greater connection, purpose, and peace. We'll be sharing our recorded services and conversations with health and wellness experts. Enjoy. Hi, my name is Dan. Today, we're continuing our series on OAC member interviews. Hope you enjoyed this episode. Uh, if you could just share your name and what profession you work in. Sure. My name is Ron DeBlanco, and I've been in sales all my life. So my most recent sales was being a realtor, and uh, I did that for several years. I'm semi-retired right now, but real estate was a big part of my life. I think I was in it for now 46 years, but sales uh, was always in my life. My parents instilled that into me when I was quite young. How did you get into sales? My parents, <laughs> like I said, they started me off uh, when I was about, uh, I think I was eight or nine years old and they, I was, they got me into selling calendars, <laughs> going door to door in the neighborhood. Uh, and, and I'm surprised, I think back about uh, the times growing up that they allowed me to go out by myself in the evening, <laughs> which would never happen today. Or at least I don't think it would. But anyhow, yeah. So I was always in sales of some sort. And uh, after school and graduating, I uh, went into uh, wholesale sales for a company and stayed with them a number of years. And traveled to Europe and then came back, started with them again. And then I said, this is not for me. There's got to be something better out there. So I thought, thought about what I wanted to get into and real estate came up and I decided that was going to be my profession. At least that's what I thought it was going to be. I said, I, I, I'd be in it for about uh, a year and that would dry up all my savings and that would be it, whether I'd make it or not. Well, it took about nine months and then I got going. Did you grow up in BC? Mostly, yeah. I grew up in Alberta too. Uh, I was born in Alberta and uh, I was there for about 10 years. And then my parents moved over to Vancouver Island and I grew up there for about another 10 years before I moved to Vancouver. Does Adventism run through your family? No, it doesn't. Uh, um, my parents are Christian. But uh, they're, they are Ukrainian Greek Orthodox, and I was uh, I was baptized as that, or I should say christened. <laughs> I had no faith after that. Uh, I, actually, we didn't really overly practice it, but uh, I grew up in a Christian home. My my parents, you know, they they uh, taught me to pray and every night, and so well, I did have that as a background. But then, as you grow up and go to a secular public school, then you uh, fade away from Christianity. Later on in life, you start seeking it again. And that's when I found out about Adventists, which I never heard of before. You know, <laughs> I had no idea they existed. How did you find out about Adventism? Yeah, I found out what Adventist, Adventism was about through my wife, by meeting my wife and her introducing me to the church. Was it the church that we're going to now is the first church you went to? It is. 
it's the first church. Yeah. I've been with that uh, Vancouver church, Vancouver Seventh-day Adventist church. Now it's the OAC. So, uh, you know, that's where I started off. I think it was 1977, 1979. How was it back then compared to now? It was a lot larger. We had on books about 800, 850 people. Attendance was probably about four, 450. And it was a going concern. We, we had radio programs, cooking classes, uh, you know, um, there was things hopping all the time, but you had, we had a lot of people to draw on too, you know? So uh, we, a lot of things were going with the church. Slowly, people start moving away, moving out. Uh, a lot of things happen, and it just dwindled down. Yeah, because um, initially, so there was 800 people at church. Did people just, like, naturally move away to different areas? Or Yeah, exactly. That's what a lot of people were moving away. The city started to get more expensive. Mm. Uh, for, you know, uh, it used to be reasonable to, to live in the city of Vancouver. And as the real estate and rent became more expensive, uh, uh, people start moving away. Uh, they move away for profession reasons like that or whatever their reason was. There's many reasons for people to move. Um, and the church kept dwindling, going down, and we weren't getting more people coming in. And so that's what's happened. When you met Grace, was how did I, I know it might have been a little while ago. How did those conversations come about on attending the Vancouver church? Uh, very simple, very easy. Uh, you know, it just said that uh, I belong to a church and we go to church on uh, Saturday. I said, okay, that's a little strange. <laughs> you know, you're not Jewish, are you? <laughs> so uh, that just came about like that. And just uh, just as simple as making an offer, an invitation to attend. And uh, just said, would you like to come to church? And I said, sure, I'd love to check it out because the the background for myself was that I didn't have religion in my life to speak of and I was searching myself I was thinking I, I actually I prayed to God to to lead me to a church or that I could find a church that would be suitable for what I was looking for and uh, that's how it came together I met Grace and got invited to go to church there and uh, start to learn about the Seventh-day Adventists, what, what they were doing around the world. And uh, that impressed me greatly. I also was uh, searching to become a vegetarian. And uh, I've been, I was on the line and role of getting, you know, getting all the uh, recipes and ideas of what vegetarianism was about. And then all of a sudden this church has it. So it was a two-four. You're very ahead of the time to be vegetarian in that in that time frame. <laughs> hey, well, hey, the hippies were a lot of hippies were vegetarians. Let me tell you, I wasn't a hippie, but uh, a lot of hippies were back. Well, there wasn't hippies at the time of '79. I don't think. Well, maybe there was. I don't really remember. But uh, that era, that way, there was a lot of vegetarianism around, you know. But uh, I never picked up on it and but I was at that particular time I was searching for it and and I was starting to to become a vegetarian hmm. did your parents grow up in uh parents background in Canada also or elsewhere no my father was born in the Ukraine 
and my mother was born in Canada. Uh, both, uh, both of uh, total Ukrainian descent. Hmm. Have you been back to Ukraine much? I've never been. I, uh, you know, I was uh, traveling. I traveled to Europe, but I, I didn't want to go to the Ukraine because it was actually under Russian occupation at the time, part of the USSR. And so I didn't want to, I just didn't want to go into the country because of that. And so uh, I never did get an opportunity to go because I never went back to Europe. But I was thinking about it. I was planning on it. And all of a sudden, this war started out. Hmm. That, my goodness. It's a really sore spot that, you know, just think about it every day. It's on my mind. Hmm. You know, it's kind of seeing history and I think a lot of people always you don't have the long history you do since you've kind of seen a lot of changes you know for better or for worse are there things in particular you've seen that have worked better as you have witnessed things because i have that long history with the church now i i really enjoyed the time when we had a radio program going and we were able to witness to how i don't know how many thousands of people on a on a weekly basis and that, that, to me, was just very exciting, very impressive that that was happening. You know, we tune in every Saturday evening, you know, and listen in and have different guests on there. They're talking about various things. But anyhow, uh, that was just one thing, you know, that was happening that we're getting to be known by the public. But um, I think the outreach was, was pretty good back then to reach other people. It, it, it's it seems to be difficult nowadays, you know, mm-hmm. to try to get people because you can tell the by the number of people that we have in our church right now whether how quickly we are actually growing, mm-hmm. and it, it, it's not clicking like it did before. <laughs> Is there a radio program like the church actually had a license to to broadcast like on a particular frequency? No, no, no. no. We we were on a radio station. Oh, okay. yeah, yeah. We didn't transmit. We, uh, you know, we just were used to had a couple hours uh, during uh, Saturday evening. So I know that pretty recently you had jazz concert at church. Can you tell me a little bit about how you got into jazz and music? Well, yeah, I always I I, I loved jazz from a long time ago before I became an Adventist. So uh, you know, I I just loved it just loved the music and uh, that was it but uh uh in starting to play jazz play a, an instrument my it's actually my daughter got me into it <laughs> and when i say that she got me into it, it, it what happened is that uh um when when our children go to school uh, you know there's an opportunity to learn to play an instrument in the band and so uh, my daughter was trying different instruments out, what she sort of would like to play. And uh, saxophone came up. So, you know, obviously we went out to get a saxophone. She was having difficulty how to play the instrument. So I said, well, I'll see if I can help you out because there was two mouthpieces. And I picked it up and I just started playing it. And it just played by itself almost you know and it was amazing I, you know we were i really connected with it and uh, i i haven't put it down since <laughs> so, did you have music training before you picked up the saxophone uh i did have i did belong to band in school grade school 
for for two years. So and I had two years of music, so I, I could read music a little bit, and that's about it. So when you pick up the, the saxophone, did you just learn it by yourself, or did you take lessons? I'm self-taught. I'm self-taught on the saxophone. Oh. Big oh. mistake. Big mistake. Uh, uh-huh. Self-taught, self-taught, it may be okay, but uh, it, it's better to have somebody teach you when you first start. You, it's better to have a teacher. They can correct the wrongs. Because once you learn something wrong, how you know how difficult it is to break that pattern. So anyhow, um, yeah, I, I'm self-taught, and uh, and it took a long time to be able to play with a band. I just played by myself for many years, and then I said, I'm getting tired of this. I want to join a band so I can play with them. And when I did find a band to play with, uh, it was very, very difficult to play with them because I didn't have the training, the background training. Hmm. When was the first time you played together in a, in a jazz band? Um, I found a class that was uh, put on by the Vancouver School Board, mm-hmm. and it was called uh, Teachers and Friends. And uh, basically, it was a teacher's band, an outlet for teachers to be able to gather together and play with uh, other professional teachers. And then they... Uh, uh, because it was put on by the school board and it was at nighttime, they said, uh, well, you sh- you'll have to include public. So they invited students to join. So it was uh, and then from there, it start, went to the public and it opened up. And that's how I eventually got in there. And then we've moved around from school to school to school. And now we're at our church. And Rhoda opened it up for us to, as a community outreach. And uh, the, these people in the band as we come there to practice they are so grateful for our church opening up them and they they learn who we are and what we're about through the practice and what i can convey to them and that so when you play jazz what kind of goes through your head you know i've seen things in movies but i'm not sure how accurate they are (laughs) Uh, well, the stuff that you see in movies or something like that, uh, those are usually professional musicians and uh, they live and breathe uh, music and playing. Uh, that's their whole life. And the, 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 they are actually one, you know, the, the whatever instrument they play and who they are, they're just amalgamated together. Uh, so they, they intimately know each other and how to connect, you know, and so like a vocal for them. But for, for me, what, uh, what happens is that obviously we have to read music. So we're reading music, but we do have an opportunity to solo and we're, we're free to do whatever we want uh, try, and try and stay within the melody. But that's it's a very, very uh, liberating and uh, an enjoyable part of playing the saxophone is that when you can solo and you're just expressing what you feel. Through, through, through yourself. For the Sabbath school, uh, Ron teaches the, the quarterly class. How was it? Uh, since I haven't attended actually any of your classes on Zoom when the pandemic started, did you guys have a smooth adjustment moving to Zoom when the pandemic started? Or how was that experience? Mm-hmm. I'm just going to think back about that. Uh, it, it seemed quite... Uh, quite smooth, I believe, you know, we, we had quite a few people attending at first, you know, when it first came out, people were kind of excited 
to, to be able to hook up on their computer and be able to come to a Sabbath school class since they couldn't go to, uh, to it in church. And, uh, uh, and it, yeah, so people were excited about it. And our classes, I think were about 16 to 20 people at the time, you know, and it's sort of slowly dwindled down and we have sort of a steady stream of beat anywhere from six, eight, 12, uh, if, you know, people somewhere around there. Um, uh, but, uh, I, you know, the thing is, is that the entire church didn't, uh, accept it. Uh, you know, when I used to teach, uh, in the church and, uh, we were teaching in the sanctuary, we would have 30, 40, 50, 60 people come for Sabbath school. Now, when I, they wouldn't be there right at the dot of 10, they would sort of dwindle into coming in for church service, but they would stop in and get the tail end of the uh, Sabbath school class. So we had that many, but when we had to go to Zoom or actually go to smaller rooms, our class just dwindled right down to about 12 people, 15 people, something like that. And then Zoom was both the same for the beginning. And then it's dwindled down from there. But it's interesting that our Zoom class, most of my people are not members of the OAC. They're, oh. they're, they're, they're a lot, uh, I have Vancouver Island, uh, people out in the Valley. Uh, I have a person in Tahiti. I have a doctor in Spain. Um, there, um, I don't know, another person comes in from Winnipeg, um, just all over the place sometimes Kelowna. And then we have a few members. We have a few members, steady members that support. And they, they desire and feel that they need the need to connect uh, through the SAP school class. How, how do you feel teaching was different from in-person to Zoom? Teaching is, I, I, yes, it is. It is. Um, one thing I noticed uh, <laughs> when you do a Zoom class, you start to, uh, versus in person, is that you have to talk a lot more. <laughs> you almost have to preach in a way. You, know? you have to keep it going. Otherwise, if there's silence, nobody says anything and it just sort of dies a little bit. But uh, the thing is that if you're in person and you're talking in a group and that people tend to, participate more and I can't I can't say that people that come to my class don't participate but uh, it was somehow easier for people to participate uh, when it was face to face yeah and, uh, I find with zoom you just have to keep it going uh, and, and, but the only way to get people to participate is that you got to ask questions to involve the people to uh, to be part of the class. And so I just riddle my classes with questions so that I can learn hmm. <laughs> from them. <laughs> In terms of your like family history, did you ever have conversations about like faith with your parents or how did that kind of come about? Because we're all young, you know, we're kind of told what to do. In the beginning, right. but then there's some point in time where that relationship involves. So did that relationship involve with you and your parents? Hmm. I, I don't, you're making me think back a lot of years here, you know, <laughs> but, uh, 
huh, uh, did we have a conversation about it? I, I think I mostly I, with my mother, uh, you know, that uh, she, she uh, basically instilled to me, you know, that there is a God and that you do pray to God, uh, say your prayers at nighttime, uh, that, that sort of kind of conversation. It was never in depth, you know, to, to get involved with uh, exactly what the Bible is talking about or anything like that. It was, there was nothing like that. But uh, she just instilled me to be, to be a Christian in the way that you're supposed to do good and you're supposed to be, you know, a good person. But, but also, why to be a good person is because there is a God, there is Jesus, and uh, so that was, uh, you know, even growing up as a secular person and even not attending church and that, uh, it was still instilled to me that there was a God and that. And I, I question it many times whether there really is a God or not. And I don't think I really truly believed until I became an Adventist. But then again, I was much older too, to, to be able to understand and, and have some deep questions answered through scripture, through reading. Would you say your journey is a, a set of like smaller steps some people would take like really big steps like have a gap and then there's some big thing that happens in their life this is not like super common or do you feel your journey is more like a stepping stone of small things leading you towards to god i would say there's trials and tribulations in life that happen uh make you seek uh religion seek god uh and uh, that probably happened with me and, uh, you know, the change, changing in your life. You know, they say that your life changes every seven years. You, you, you have a somewhat of a different change. You're still the same person. You did all that, but you, you're, you're thinking changes a little bit every seven years. And I think that's what happened with me, you know, is that uh, I was searching, whereas I never was searching before. And change happens. What age were you searching? think around 26 26 27 something like that do you have any hobbies that nobody knows about um a philatelist uh, uh, a what a philatelist uh, what, what is that <laughs> that's a stamp collector oh really yeah yeah I started that up when I was, uh, uh, I think, probably about 10 or 12 or something like that. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I'm, I'm not really active. I'm not a, a true philatelist uh, collector of any sort. But uh, I always enjoyed uh, the old uh, old stamps. And, you know, uh, I got a few years under my belt. So I had the opportunity to pick up some really old stamps uh uh, when we moved to Port Alberni, there was a lot left over, um, postcards and what have you. And uh, uh, I, I saw all these old, old stamps on these cards and letterheads and what have letters, envelopes. They were like King George or, you know, on there. And uh, yeah, so it just sort of intrigued me. And then uh, uh, um, whatever I got into it, uh, reading in magazines and they'd say, you can buy these extra stamps that are around the world and what have you. So I'd start buying those up and collecting them, 
putting them in a book. I, and I still, I still collect stamps once in a while. If I see a real interesting stamp or it looks interesting, I'll cut it out and keep it. <laughs> Do you have any particular faith-defining moments in your life? Mm. Yeah, let's see. Yeah, you know, um, you know, well, you know, prior uh, after becoming uh, an Adventist or a follower, a believer, um, you sort of look back on your life and uh, think about all the times that you're almost killed. Mm. And I think back about how many times that I came so close to death that I, I sh really should not be here because there's so many times, not that I <laughs> live that kind of a lifestyle or anything like that, but it just freaky things that happened that almost took my life away from me. And uh, I just uh, sort of think back, you know, God saved me for some reason, some reason. And uh, I, I'm not sure what he's using. Is he using me for now? Is this what, he, what I'm doing right now uh, through the church and in my life? Or is there more to come? Uh, because I really shouldn't be here when I look back on that. So that's one thing. Uh, the other thing that's uh, really a defining moment is uh, is prayer. And uh, and I know when I became an Adventist in that, and you know, prayer is a part of it, and uh, and it was ever since uh, in my life. But I, you know, I always wonder, you know, is, is prayer really being answered? And I know we say, well, you, you know, it's not going to be answered the way you expect it to be answered, but it will be answered, right? You hear that the same adage all the time. But this, this is what happened to me. And now I, I, if, if other people are listening to this, they probably heard uh, and know me. They might have heard the story before. But uh, a defining moment was uh, I was drinking. It was a simple thing. I was drinking coffee, regular leaded coffee, and I wanted to get off it. But, you know, coffee, it's addictive, and it really hooks into you, and you want that coffee, right? But it was making me sick, very, very ill. It was, like, hurting my stomach, but you still feel that, hey, I, if I take this one more cup, I, I, can, I can handle it. And no, it was hurting me. So I had... At the time, I remember, I still remember, I had the most sincere prayer I could have with God saying, I need your help. I can't do this on my own. The only way I, this will, I can overcome this is that if you answer me, that you work with me, that you, you know, help me. And that was my prayer. But it was a really, the way I prayed was a very sincere prayer. And I remember praying it and I said, I don't remember ever praying like that ever before. So the next day, I'm going to work to my office and I'm driving there. And as I'm driving there, um, I would see my regular coffee spot where I stopped to get a coffee all the time. So I'm going there and I'm thinking, you know, another three, four more blocks is my coffee place, you know. And then the very next thing, I was about five, six blocks away from the place that I should have stopped for my coffee. And I didn't even know it. And I said, whoa, that's pretty freaky. So I said, okay, that's fine. I didn't have a coffee that day. Next day, same thing. I'm thinking, I'm going to have a coffee. It's coming up. I'm driving there, you know. And 
all of a sudden, I'm sitting in my office and I said, I forgot. I didn't even think about having a coffee. What's going on here? And this went on day after day after day till I finally realized, you know, God's answered my prayer. He stepped in. And that to me was, it was almost scary that how he answered me and how he directed me, what happened. And this is a very simple thing. But what I got out of it was the sincerity of the prayer that you speak to God in. There's a respect and, and he hears your heart. He hears your heart. Now, you still have, I still have questions of prayer. I, 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 I pray about the Ukraine, what's happening there today. And I said, please answer. Please answer, not myself. Answer the millions of people around the world that are praying for the safety. And they're still being killed every day. And, you know, God says there are going to be wars, you know, and there are going to be things coming along. He's, and if you, I wonder why wouldn't he answer these prayers to stop the war somehow to create a truce to happen? And is he doing it right now? You know, what does he got in the works? Because he hears our prayers. He hears all of our prayers. And what's he going to do? Cool. Well, thank you for the time today to talk about history and just your journey. Gee, that's a scary thought for me now that I'm history. <laughs> <laughs> about your history. But you still have many, many fruitful years to come. Yeah, I hope so. God willing. <laughs> for sure. No, it's enjoyable. Enjoy talking to you, Dad. Yeah. Thank you for listening to OAC Vancouver's podcast. Learn more at oacvancouver.ca. If you're in Vancouver, join us for worship Saturdays at 11 a.m. at 5350 Bailey Street. If you enjoyed today's episode, please rate, review, and subscribe. God bless you and have a wonderful day.